When Barna Research did some recent polls, they asked people if you could ask God one question, what would you ask Him? And people responded, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? In Mark chapter 12, Jesus does a Q&A session with the religious leadership, and He's asked questions about taxes, life after death, and the greatest commandment of all. We get to hear what Jesus says about all three. That's today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. We're in Mark 12, verse 13. Mark 12, 13. Father, as we now get into your word, just thank you for the precious people that have gathered here on this Sunday morning. We know that this is not the only place where this is happening. It's happening all over our city, all over the state, all over this country, and all over the world. It's amazing just to take a moment to think about how many Christians gather on a Sunday morning in all kinds of different situations, Lord, in different buildings. Some of them are in parks. Some of them are literally underground And all of them have a common theme. They've been saved by your grace, captured by your love, driven by your spirit. And this morning, Lord, as we're here, we can, we want to confess together, we we are very fragile people, Lord. We can be very self-centered. We can sometimes just focus on ourselves and nothing else and God, we need your help. But it's not just about that. It's not just about the things that we fall short in. It, it's that we have to recapture how amazing your love is, how patient you are, how good you are, how much grace you've showed each of us. If, if this United States of America, Lord, or this world is going to find answers, they're, they're not going to be found in our own Humanism, our own thinking, they're going to be found ultimately in you, in your truth and your love. And as we study your word now, and we look at people who came to you and asked you questions, and I'm sure we all have questions in our souls as well, Um, I pray we'll be listening to your answers with maybe a more keen ear than we've ever had before. This is going to be some familiar ground to us, but Lord, it's ground we need to hear as you answer questions about taxes and death and ultimately about love. You are love. The Bible says God is love. And Lord, I pray that you would renew and refresh the love that is in our hearts and strengthen us by your Holy Spirit. I pray that all distractions would be set aside as we look to hear from you now, the author and perfecter of our faith. We love you and we pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Q&A with Jesus is the title of the message. I've talked to many Christians over the years, and I suppose that we all have a list of questions that we think we're going to take into the throne room. You got, do you guys have your list? Some of you have written them down. <laughs> you've been pondering them. Some of them you've been able to X off your list. Okay, I, I kind of get that one now, yeah. Right? Well, there were people who had questions in Jesus' day, too, and it would have been amazing and 
It will be amazing ultimately to plumb the depths of God as we spend, we're going to spend eternity with the Lord and it's going to be amazing. I'm not sure we're going to be asking a whole lot of questions, but maybe we have more questions now than we'll be asking them because I think we'll find all of our answers in the face of Jesus. And, and, and it's hard to even fathom what that is going to be fully like. But we're going we're gonna to watch some questions brought to Jesus, and I think it's pretty insightful, the questions that are brought, because one is about taxes. <laughs> Don't you guys have questions about taxes? I do. <laughs> like whether or not they should be paid, you know, things like that. They're going to ask him a question about life and death, namely the resurrection. And then they're going to ask him what's the greatest commandment or I, just to put it another way, what, what should we be living for? What's the most important thing to live for? And Jesus is going to answer all three questions. The sad reality about the questions, though, at least in two of the cases, is that they're asked with malicious intent. See, they're not really asked to get answers like, I want to change. They were asked to trap him. And sometimes when I step back and I look at our world, and I think Shane probably prayed a prayer that is true for all of us, we get kind of sick and tired of you know, all the stuff that's going on in our world and all the mess that is out there. And, and sometimes we just want to kind of coil up into a little ball and maybe go hide somewhere and not deal with reality. And, and that's, that's how we feel sometimes, not only as people of a, citizens of a country, but even people of the church. Let's be candid. Sometimes we get tired of dealing with people and problems and traffic and struggles both inside and outside the church. Some of you have a lot of tension in your personal relationships. Some of you are struggling at work and you're wondering, are there really answers to this thing called life? You know, people who are out there today are really asking that kind of basic question. And when we ask questions, um, you know, there's, there's a couple things that I look at. One is, are we asking the right questions? Because that's important. And then are we asking the right source for our answers? And we're, we're really good at, you know, making commentary about what we think should happen. But the question is, are there really solid answers to this thing called life? I think what we're going to find is that... Um, Jesus is going to address these questions with the idea in mind that we are image bearers of God. That is that we have a special place as humans. And that's something just to kind of keep in your thinking. And then another thing to, just to be thinking about is that when these questions are posed to Jesus, they're posed when he's just a few days away from the cross where he will make the ultimate act of love as he will lay down his life for the sins of the world. So when he's asked these questions, he's just about couple days from the cross. So he will answer these questions, but there's, there's several different dynamics that are working. Let's pick up the, the text in Mark 12. We'll, we'll backtrack one verse for a second. Mark 12, verse 12. It says, and they were seeking to seize him, the religious leaders, yet they feared the multitude for they understood that he spoke the parable that we looked at last week of the vine growers against them. And so they left him and went away. And they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to him in order to trap him in a statement. Now, Jesus has just put the religious leaders in their place, and now they have their fear of the people caused them not to seize him at that very moment, though they wanted to, but they were fearful. They feared the wrong thing. They feared man instead of God. 
Let me just say, generally speaking, here's how you can navigate your life well. If you fear God more than you fear man, you will be able to navigate your life well. If you do everything in your life based upon being a people pleaser and what is so-and-so gonna think of this and what's so-and-so gonna think of this, you're gonna stay stuck. But if you wonder and, and you ponder, and I'm talking about consistently and at the forefront of your mind, you know, how you can please God, I think your life will fall into place. In Luke's parallel account, just turn there for a second, it's the next gospel to the right, Luke 20. Let's take a peek at how Luke says uh, the dynamics were working. Luke 20, look at verse 19. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first four books of the New Testament. Luke 20, verse 19, it says, And the scribes, 2019, and the chief priests tried to lay, lay hands on him that very hour. Luke 20, verse 19, and they feared the people for they understood that he spoke this parable against them. And they watched him. The word watch there in Greek is a word that has to do with monitoring behavior and sent spies who pretended to be righteous in order that they might catch him in some statement so as to deliver him up to the rule and the authority of the governor. That would be Pontius Pilate. Let's go back to Mark's gospel. They were lurking in the shadows after he told this story of the vine growers. They knew he had spoken it about them. And one of the things that he said in the parable is that the, when the heir comes, when the son comes, they say, the, the evil vine growers say, this is the heir, come, let us kill him. And what Jesus was saying in that parable that I think I said at second service, I'm not sure I said at first service last week, is that Jesus was making clear in the parable that they, the religious leaders, knew who he was. They knew he was the heir, they knew he was the son of God, and they killed him anyway. Sometimes we think that people do things because maybe they just don't have all the light that they need. You know, maybe we, we look at the religious leadership and they, we say, well, you know, maybe they, maybe they just didn't see enough. Maybe, maybe they didn't encounter the miracles and so forth. And we can make our list. No, they knew exactly who he was. And Jesus revealed that by the parable. And that made them even more convicted and even more responsible. May I say that uh, this may imply that more people than we realize know exactly who God is. In fact, the Bible tells us just by the physical creation alone, people, get this, are without excuse. Just by the physical creation alone, people are without excuse. That tells me, frankly, folks, there are no true atheists walking around. Atheism is simply a cloak. It's a cloak to cover and do what I want to do. And so here's Jesus and they have set up you know, these people who are going to act righteous to ask him some questions, but their questions are not the right motive. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and you realize that all these questions that they're firing at you as a non-Christian to a Christian are simply a cloak to hang their hat on an excuse for not getting right with God? So there's too many hypocrites in the church and this and that and what about this and what about that? And look, we've probably, many of you in, in this room, before you became a Christian, maybe you did that very thing to your Christian friends. Maybe you were a total pain. Anybody want to confess it right now? Amen? And they came, Mark 12, 14, and said to him, Teacher, we know four things, that you are truthful, Mark 12, 14, 
unlike us, you might want to write in the margin of your Bible. Hey folks, we'll be back to the teaching in about 30 seconds. I want to tell you about our brand new store at walkintruth.com. We have a lot of great products up there and we have a new product. It's called Dark Dangers of the Occult, where we actually look at the subject of demon possession, which comes up a lot in the Gospel of Mark. Go to walkintruth.com, purchase your copy today of Dark Dangers of the Occult, and when you do, you'll be partnering with us at Walk in Truth. Thank you so much, and now back to the teaching. May I say that uh, this may imply that more people than we realize know exactly who God is. In fact, the Bible tells us just by the physical creation alone, people, get this, are without excuse. Just by the physical creation alone, people are without excuse. That tells me, frankly, folks, there are no true atheists walking around. Atheism is simply a cloak. It's a cloak to cover and do what I want to do. And so here's Jesus, and they have set up you know, these people who are going to act righteous to ask him some questions, but their questions are not the right motive. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and you realize that all these questions that they're firing at you as a non-Christian to a Christian are simply a cloak to hang their hat on an excuse for not getting right with God? So there's too many hypocrites in the church and this and that, and what about this and what about that? And look, we've probably, many of you in, in this room, before you became a Christian, maybe you did that very thing to your Christian friends. Maybe you were a total pain. Anybody want to confess it right now? Amen? And they came, Mark 12, 14, and said to him, Teacher, we know four things, that you are truthful, Mark 12, 14. Unlike us, you might want to write in the margin of your Bible, because they're pretenders, right? You defer to no one, number two. You are not partial to any, number three. Uh, but you teach the way of God in truth, number four. What a great description. All those things are true of Jesus. He was all of those things. And 1 John 2, 5 and 6 says, just to cut to the chase, verse 6 says, we as believers are to walk in the same manner as he walked. 1 John 2, verse 6. You're to live the same way that he lived. What was he? One, he was truthful, Verse 14, two, he deferred to no one. Three, he was not partial to any. And four, he taught the way of God in truth. Now, sometimes we defer to people because we're human, but you get the point. Jesus Christ was authentic. He was real. He was not a phony. He did not pull any punches. He was gracious to those who sometimes wondered if they would receive grace and hard on those who were hypocrites, just like perhaps we should be. Mm. Hard on a hypocrite? Yeah, sometimes we should call out hypocrisy. Sometimes we should say to people, you know what, that's just not true. He was truthful. He was straight. And of course, all of what's said here is simply to butter him up. They are, they are using flattery to set him up for the question. And the question is about taxes. Verse 14, end of the verse. Is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? To pay or not to pay, that is the question. Have you ever been receiving flattery from someone and you start to realize that it's not real? We have to weigh flattery carefully. Somebody said flattery is kind of like chewing gum. It's kind of like bubble gum. Chew on it for a while, but don't swallow it. Right? 
Sometimes you, you're getting buttered up by somebody and, and you ever, have you ever thought this in your mind, okay, I wonder what's coming next now. <laughs> you're a really good guy and this and that and oh, by the way, uh, usually it's a request that comes next, right? I'm not saying all flattery is bad, but their strategy was to perfume him with flattery. The groups that come to him are quite interesting. They're found in verse 13. The first group is Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. You could call them the right-wingers of the day. And the Herodians were the left-wingers of the day. That's a little bit of a loose way to structure it, but the Herodians are just like their name sounds. They were beholden in league with the Herods. They, they had uh, realized that Rome was dominant over their nation, and they were finding a way to make the best of it, and they were, they were actually benefiting from it. They were the Herodians. They, just like we are Christians with I-A-N-S at the end, they were Herodians, followers of the Herods. And so they were benefiting from the taxes in Rome and the setup and everything that was happening. Why do you think the Herodians were there with the Pharisees? Do you know that these two groups hated each other? They absolutely disdained each other, but they had one thing in common on this day. You know what it was? A common enemy, Jesus. And the Pharisees brought the Herodians there because they thought if Jesus says don't pay taxes to the Caesar, the Herodians are there to be witnesses of his treason and if you were treasonous against Rome, you were dead. That's why they're there. See, Rome would tolerate different forms of religion and that kind of thing. They were okay with that. But the moment you started talking about the Caesar and you're not going to pay and maybe you're going to get other people not to pay the taxes, you're in deep trouble. And boy, did they have taxes in this day. Some of their, uh, in doing some research for this message, some of their goods, for example, were taxed so that they increased by a thousand percent. The average Jewish person, by the time they had paid all the tolls in Israel, all the taxes, income and otherwise, and had to deal with even the religious duties that they had, it was typically about 40% of their income. And I know that doesn't sound too far-fetched for a modern American, amen? You know, you start looking at your income and you start looking at what you have to give money to in terms of taxes and insurance and, man, it flies away. Amen? Amen. And, uh, you know, you may be in that position right now. And so they say, they say, shall we pay or shall we not pay? Now remember, the whole question is just a ruse, right? It's just to set him up. But he, verse 15, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. Jesus in Matthew's account uh, calls them, I think it's in Matthew or Luke's account, he, go, he says to them, why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Don't you love how Jesus was so politically correct, right? <laughs> you phonies. And then he asked for a coin. I think it's interesting that Jesus didn't have a coin. He asked for a coin. Remember in, in Matthew's gospel, somebody comes up and they says, hey, does your master pay the tax? And I think there it was the temple tax. And remember Peter is sent and he's told to go catch a fish. And the first fish that he catches to open its mouth and in that fish he'll find a coin for the taxes. I've been praying for that for quite a while now. 
but I can't even catch a fish. So it's a problem. I have a friend, he's now moved to Idaho, his name is Scott, and he was, his singular goal in life was to get Pastor Michael to catch a fish. So he took me on Big Bear Lake, woke me up at some ungodly hour, and I just told him, I don't like it. I don't, I prefer hitting the little white ball, you know? Come on, you gotta, you gotta, we got a fish finder, we got, we got, we got stuff. You can see the, you know. So, finally, he caught a fish and handed me the pole so we could take a picture. <laughs> One of my family members took us up on this fishing trip and we, we went, everybody's catching fish, I caught nothing. Finally, at this particular location, they have what's called the loser pond. Anybody ever been to the loser pond? They cram all these fish in there, and if you didn't catch anything, they let you put your little hook in so you can feel good. And there's fish crammed in there. There's like no way you can't catch something. I threw my line in there. 40 minutes went by. I saw underwater meetings happening between fish. That's Pastor Michael up there. Don't let him catch it. Sad. Anyway. They thought they had put Jesus in a no-win situation, and when Jesus was a little boy, there was a revolt that happened, and it happened by the zealot movement, and the zealots refused resolutely to pay taxes. They, they would not. It's called the zealot movement. And in AD 70, when Jerusalem fell to the ground, one of the big reasons Jerusalem fell was because of the zealot movement. Because the zealot movement was trying to fight against Rome and they refused to pay taxes. So this was a huge issue. And those who have come, the Pharisees and the Herodians, think they have him in a no-win situation. Why? Because if he says, pay the tax, then the people are going to say, well, he's not loyal to Israel. He doesn't understand our problems, our pain. And if he says, uh, if he says to pay the tax, if he says don't pay the tax, of course, then the Herodians are standing there ready to arrest him. So there were three types of taxes in that day. The poll tax, a type of in income tax, but simply because you were there. A ground tax, one-tenth of your grain, wine, and oil, kind of like a property tax. And then they had an income tax as well. Then there are other things you were responsible for as a Jewish person. And so they said, shall we not, shall we pay, or shall we not pay? And Jesus, of course, asked for a coin. In, in Matthew's account, he said, show me the coin or if you want to put it in modern vernacular, Jesus said, show me the money. So they brought him a coin, and the coin was a denarius. It was a Roman coin, and the denarius was a, uh, a, a coin that you would earn for one day of common labor. So one day's wage for a common laborer. And it had Caesar's picture on it, and it called him divine. And the coin was even abominable to the Jews because Caesar's image was on there, and for some of them, just his very image was blasphemy because they, they believed that you shouldn't have any images. And then to call him some sort of God, to call him divine was even worse. He's the, he's the, the ruler of all, divine Augustus. Uh, I was reading this week that it said even on the coin that he was Pontifex, Pontifex Maximus. You know, he's it. He's the ruler. Verse 16, so they brought one, brought a coin to Jesus, and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. 
And then, of course, in his famous response, Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were amazed at him because his answer blew their minds. Right? Give me the coin. Whose image is on the coin? Caesar's. Then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, or render it, and to God what belongs to God. And they were amazed. Wow, that's not what we expected to hear. What do we do with that answer? I don't know. Did he get himself in trouble? I don't know. And this has been called by historians the single greatest shaping statement of Western civilization. Because Jesus Christ made a a comment about how society should work. And he did answer and he'd say, look, it's right to pay taxes because taxes do keep the government going and they, they fund things that are important to a society. They help keep order and, and of course, fi- some financial stability. But he, but he said something that we need to pay attention to that's even more important. We are to render to God the things that belong to God. And look, this is the more important thing for us is that we have an obligation to God. And when a society forgets its obligation to God, when it does not render to God the things that belong to God, think about it, brothers and sisters, a coin has an image, and that coin may, may uh, you know, uh, depict something, a, a human leader that will so, soon be dust, but you have an image imprinted on you. You bear the image of who? Almighty God, it's what sets you apart from the animals and even the angels. You bear the image of your maker. And by virtue of your humanity, you have an obligation to him to render to God the things that belong to God. And what belongs to God is you. And if a society answers this question properly, if a man or a woman in a modern age answers this question properly, what do I owe to God? Everything. Myself, my family, my finances, my time. And if you will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he will add all these other things to you. You see, the problem with the society is not the taxes or the other things. The problem is that as image bearers, we owe God everything and we hold back most of it. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael. Really appreciate you tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Just want to remind you about our store at walkintruth.com. We have a lot of new products up there. A lot of exciting topics with apologetics and studies of different subjects. One of the things that's up there right now is the anatomy of a fall. How to avoid a fall into sexual sin like King David did. A lot of practical teaching in that particular message. And I want you to go to walkintruth.com. Click on the store. When you purchase any of the products, you partner with us in Walk in Truth to reach more people with the truth of Jesus Christ. If you believe in this ministry, that's one of the ways that you can partner with us. We appreciate very much you listening. Tell a friend about what you're hearing. Partner with us in prayer and go to the store and partner with us in giving. We appreciate it. God bless you. And we'll catch you next time on Walk in Truth. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety, or if you'd like to visit our church here in Corona, California, visit our website 
walkintruth.com.